Hi, and welcome to the Cyclical Podcast. My name is Cassandra Wilder, and I'm a naturopathic doctor and a women's cyclical health expert. This podcast is a space where we demystify all of the bad hormone advice we've been given and instead get back down to the foundations. Your dream of regular, pain-free periods, balanced hormones, and vibrant energy is within reach. Join me and other incredible experts here every single Monday for conversations that are sure to be life-changing. Let's get started. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today is our last episode of season five, but don't worry, I will be back in a couple months. But in the meantime, if you have any podcast episode requests, please know that you can always email them to us at hello at cassandrawilder.com or send me a message on Instagram. If you are in the wellness space, which because you're listening to this episode, I have to guess that you are, I'm sure you've heard a lot of people in recent years talk more and more about mold. And this is both good and bad. It's good in that there's more awareness about it, more people are talking about it, it's validating for people that have a lot of mystery symptoms and then suddenly realize it's their home making them ill. But not so great because there's a lot of interesting misconceptions floating around, like just treat mold in your house with bleach and mold isn't actually that bad. And you know, there's a lot of interesting, uh, we'll say, information out there on the internet. I knew that I wanted to bring on the best of the best expert to talk to us about mold today to break down some of these misconceptions, talk about testing, and also share tools and tips for things that any of us can do in our home right now to help improve the air quality and the health of our home in general. Because like my guest shares on this episode, pretty much every house has mold. Like it's just kind of inevitable but it's the quantity of it that matters. And also he breaks down why some people can be so affected by mold and other people can seemingly live amongst it for years and never really have any symptoms. He also shares a checklist on how any of us can check around our home to see if there are possible signs of mold or water damage. And I had never heard anyone break it down like this. So I think this is maybe the true gem of this episode so that you can go around your home and basically do what his team and his business offers where they really look around your home and they're looking for signs of water damage or mold. And if they see signs of that, then they may test that room or that wall. And he breaks down how you can do this by yourself. And then if you saw enough of these signs, then you could consider bringing in an expert to do further testing. My guest on the podcast today is Brian Carr. He's a second generation indoor environmental consultant, and he specializes in working with hypersensitive individuals that have complex chronic medical conditions. He really works to help families understand if mold and mycotoxins or other indoor pathogens may be in their home and if they could be contributing to their health issues. He's also the co-founder of We Inspect and an expert at identifying indicators of mold growth. Before we get into the interview, if you have PMS, you really have to listen to this. There is a science-backed solution to help ease those horrible signs of PMS, like the moodiness and the irritability and the sadness. And it really has never been easier to take a holistic approach to supporting your PMS symptoms. Jubilance is an amazing all-natural supplement that has helped thousands of women around the world see changes with their PMS, and they believe so strongly in their mission and their product that you can try it risk-free for a month. 
If you don't see the relief that you need and deserve, just send them an email, they'll refund you immediately. And on your first order, you can get started with free shipping and $10 off with code cyclical. So check them out, jubilance.com, or go to the link in the show notes. Hi, Brian. I'm so happy to welcome you to the podcast. You're one of the, the few men we've ever had. So I hope you feel very honored. <laughs> wow, I love it. Don't everybody come out at me at once. <laughs> <laughs> You definitely, though, are the expert when it comes to talking about mold toxicity. So we're going to learn a lot from you today. How did you get into this world and why are you so passionate about it? You know, it's interesting. I don't feel like anybody's in this world unless they had something happen to them or a loved one or something that sort of opened their eyes to the fact that this world even exists um, and the importance of it. So for me, I had my own story as well. I won't do the very super long version, but essentially I lived in an apartment before I was doing this. I was just like everybody else working a normal job with no knowledge of any of this stuff. And I had a leak from my ceiling and I got really sick and the landlords didn't handle it properly. And they kept, you know, kind of gaslighting me about what, you know, what the issues are, this or that. And I just happened to be lucky enough to be dating who is now my wife at the time and her dad is literally one of the top experts in the entire world on this. And he was my mentor and who taught me everything that I know. I just happened to be dating someone who had access to somebody who could actually help me, which doesn't happen to many people, right? I, I would argue maybe nobody has had that happen to them. And so uh, he came in and really helped me. He he found what was making me sick. So, my, so just to give like a quick overview, like I went from... I'm usually very sharp, you know, I, I didn't have any issues. I was at the time like 27 or 28 or something and totally fine. Within the period of months, pretty severe brain fog. Like I was noticing that really big skin issues started. So for me, the manifestation with skin issues is different in every person. Uh, for me, it was like eczema type of breakouts and on my face, like different places. I was like, what the hell is going on? And it was so fast. Um, come to find out this leak that the landlord and his mold inspector that he brought in and everybody said was fine and everything was fine. What ended up happening is when you have a big, you know, a lot of water, imagine everybody listening, you pour water on like your countertop, it goes sideways, right? It doesn't just like stack up high, right? So it goes sideways. You can pour enough water on your countertop in your kitchen, eventually it gets to the end of the counter and it falls off the counter, right? It goes down, gravity brings it down. So this very big amount of water that hit my ceiling, basically. So it went horizontal across my ceiling, just like it would on that counter. And then when it got to the walls, when there was no more ceiling, it went down. Every wall, I was living in a toxic box. Every single wall had been impacted by this. But because they dried the one area where the leak originated and said there can't be mold if there's no water, they were like, you're fine. All your problems are your own problems. It's, it's not us, it's you, which just happens to everybody all the time. So I kind of went through this. Now, luckily for me, I don't have chronic health issues that were like, you know, trigger, which a lot of people do, but it kind of just sort of opened my eyes at what was going on. And I saw how my father-in-law, his name is Mark, came in and the difference in how he went through my place to figure out what's going on, as opposed to, you know, what, you know, Joe local mold inspector did in 20 minutes in my house. You know, my, my Mark spent hours in my 800 square foot apartment figuring out what was going on. And like, I saw what the difference of that process looked like. And at the time I was, I was uh, in 2008 and um, it was like right when the recession was happening for everybody who remembers that, who's old enough to remember that. And um, so I'd just been laid off of a job. I was at a marketing agency and I'd just been laid off. And so I was kind of, I was looking for something 
And all of that happened. And it was like opportunity of looking for a job. And then I see this thing happen. And then it really resonated with me. And it just kind of like lit a fire in me or something. And I basically like told him afterwards, I just started dating my wife at the time, like a couple months, maybe. And I told him I wanted to work with them. And I joke about it now. I'm like, I was, I was clearly all in on our relationship because who the hell does that if you're just started dating this, this girl and you're going to now start working with her father. So like, I was clearly all in on that, but I was very all in on like what he did and what it did for me. Like internally, I just think it sort of lit like a fire for me. And that's where it started. And, you know, fast forward to today and, and, you know, we've, we've created, we inspect and we're literally the top company that specializes in working with people who have health sensitivities and health reactions to mold issues and doctors all over the country and the world refer their people to uh, their patients to us to help them. And our process has been rooted in how Mark went through my place. How do you actually find where it's hiding? How do you get past just the surface of everything is fine and figure out where the root cause of the issues are? And really what we do is the same of what like a functional medicine doctor would do for a person's body. They're finding the root cause of problem understanding their symptoms that might be coming from that, but the symptoms aren't what you need to treat. You need to treat root cause and then symptoms start to decide if you get rid of the agitator. And that's, that's like our entire philosophy on go through house. So we figure out where it's hiding. Most of it's hidden. Most of it you can't see, but we know how to do that. And, and so that's, that's really what we do. And that's what we do for people. Amazing. Sounds like you were just made to do this. Everything aligned perfectly for you to just step into this role and be able to help so many people. I agree. It's really weird when you look back at like sliding door moments in life or fork in the road moments in life and like what was going on and stuff. And I actually almost went back into advertising because, you know, Mark wasn't very like, yeah, come work for like, he's like, who the hell are you? Like, I I don't know who you are. Right. And so he kind of made this deal with me. He's like, I'll let you shadow me for like a month. He's like, so hold off on going and getting a marketing job. I'll let you shadow me and let's see what it is. He could have cut it off and been like, nah, you know, who are you? I've, I've got it. I've got people. I don't need somebody, you know, a lot of times in business, which is like outside this conversation, but like, if you don't have a need or an open job rec or something for somewhere, you close your mind to the possibility of like an amazing talent that might be coming into a space. And it ultimately hurts you in the long term because yes, maybe I'm paying another salary right now, but like the value that person brings is so beyond what that is. And, and so I, you know, I credit him for having kind of more of an open like vision to that of like, Hey, I might not be looking for someone right now, but this seems like it's something worth trying out because maybe there's, maybe there's something here that could be good. So, so I credit him for that. Pretty amazing. I love that story. I think a lot of people that I work with, you know, just in a big intake form, as I'm listening to all their symptoms and the things that they've noticed, their stress and all that. One thing a lot of people do end up mentioning at the very bottom is, oh, and by the way, I do know there's mold in my house. And I don't think a lot of people know about how that impacts our health or what the symptoms are. I mean, you mentioned brain fog and skin issues, but I imagine the list is much longer than that. Yeah, it is. I, it's tough because the list is so long and it can manifest differently and different. It's not even like the same list. If it was the same list that showed up in every person, at least you'd be able to pinpoint it. But it's like, here's 50 different things that can happen. And for you, maybe three of them might happen. And for you, 17 of them might happen. And for you, none of them might happen, right? Or one of them. 
it makes it really, really hard for people to wrap their head around the idea that this invisible thing that we can't see basically is creating these problems that it's very difficult to pinpoint. And then you go to your, your kind of standard medical practitioners that are out there and none of them know how to do it slash care how to do it, because if they can't put it in their computer and put a code to it to assign a pill to, then it doesn't count and it's not real. Right. And so there's all of these things that are kind of against us a little bit and just how the world is right now and where we are in the cycle. You know, I, I, a couple of years ago, I thought through like, I, I was like, where, what other like major, major impact on human health, because it is an incredible impact on human health. Has there been in history where this type of thing has been happening? And I went back and and kind of had uh, and looked at cigarettes. That's what popped up to me. And if you look at like the path of when we realized that cigarettes were a problem to when we actually did something about it from a larger like governmental standard, like, oh, now you're not allowed to smoke. Now it's a problem. We all agree that this is a problem. They knew it was a problem 30 years before they actually did one single thing to change it. Right. And this is consistent with just like human history. What happens is you get like the first sort of people that figure out there's something going on, but the masses think that those first few people are crazy because it's not normal and it's not accepted. Right. And those people you got to have really special people that are those first couple of people that will go against the grain. And then eventually what happens after that, and it takes time, that could take 10, 20 years for this next phase to happen. Then you get other smart people that start validating what they have found to be true. That's where we are right now. We're still in the phase where now there's a lot of smart doctors and a lot of smart other people that are looking at the work of someone like Dr. Shoemaker, who's really a trailblazer in, in mold health and some of the other you know key findings that have happened in the past years and now validating it. But it's still a very small subset of experts that are doing that. But the mass of health providers are still not accepting that to be true because in the grand scheme of things, it's still such a small percentage of what we've known to be true for a hundred years, right? And it's this like very slow movement to make any sort of like decision perception change. And it's only until then what happens in this scale of what happens, it's only until the people start pushing so hard that now the government has no choice but to change something because now it starts affecting their ability to, to get into office. And they're like, it, if it's not impacting them personally, it's not going to change, right? And, and this is what happened with cigarettes. Like there was individual people who knew that it caused cancer and then more people figured it out. And the government then knew about it, but they did nothing until the upswell was so heavy that they were forced to do something. And so, you know, when I talk about where we are with mold right there, we are in this phase where we know that it's a problem. We also know how to fix it and how to heal from it. And we know how to find it in houses. There's a lot of, we know how to do all this stuff, but you now as the individual have to make a choice. How old are you? Are you, I'm 40 something, 41. I forgot how old I am. I'm 41. So do I want to wait 20 years until I'm 61 for there to be like a standard of care, let's say, on how to handle this stuff. And what happens to my health in the next 20 years during that process? And what about the health of my kids who are five that are then gonna be 26 and like all this stuff? Do I wait or do I go out now? Because the beauty of where we are now as opposed to where we were with cigarettes and all these things that happened in the past, all of this information is available to us if we wanna go find it. It didn't used to be that way. So we have this amazing opportunity to take more control 
of how we choose to address things. And there's more options for us now. It takes a little work, but we can do it. So we can bypass this 20 to 30 year sort of waiting cycle for the government to decide that enough people being sick is enough for us to pull the trigger on doing something and make the changes ourselves. And that's that's why I'm so excited about like where we are now, why I pump out so much content and why I do like all these shows and stuff, you know, and, and thank you for having me on is because we are at the spot where we don't have to be stuck and wait for someone to make a decision to decide that it's okay for me to be healthier from something that we've known about for 20 or 30 years. I did not plan to go on that rant, so I'm sorry, but that's, that's the beauty about where we are right now. And that's, I just love, I love the opportunity that we have to take control of things right now. Absolutely. And talking about mold is kind of a fringe thing still. So, I mean, what you said really is very on topic because a lot of people have found mold in their home, do feel an array of very strange symptoms. Like you said, go to their doctor. The doctor's like mold. Humans have lived around mold since the beginning of time. I'm sure you've heard that a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, I definitely have. I mean, so you asked the symptoms. I never really gave it to you. So um, it will be different in every person. There are really three things that sort of kind of go into how somebody is going to react to an exposure somewhere. So the first thing is your genetic makeup. So 24% of the population has a genetic predisposition to not be able to detox from their body. This is called SIRS. This is, I, I referred to Dr. Shoemaker earlier. This was his big like light bulb aha moment that then started triggering stuff where he realized that like environmental exposures, there's literally just a quarter of us that can't even get it out of our bodies. So if we're constantly exposed and our body's just not capable of processing it out, then what happens is that your 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 toxic load, which is the frame of what you know, the kind of the verbiage of how this is used, think of it like a, a bucket in your body, keeps filling up and filling up and filling up instead of being able to drain out properly. And so, if you keep filling it up without anything being able to escape, eventually it overflows because where does it go, right? And then when it overflows, it creates a chronic inflammation throughout your body now, and it will go all over the place. And this is why the symptoms are all over the place because it's not like, oh, I've been exposed for too long. And so now only my gut is going to have a problem. Like that's not how it works. It's like your body is kind of on fire on the inside. And then it's just sort of, where does the fire go? And then how is your body reacting to where the fire is, right? That's kind of like what's happening. So genetic predisposition is a big thing. The second thing is um, previous exposures. So this is a big thing too. So if you're someone who grew up in a house in the Midwest that had a mold in your basement and your bedroom was in your basement when you were growing up as a kid, which happened to many people, you literally were exposed to this for years and years and years and years. What that does is your body learns these things, right? So there's a lot of new, uh, you know, there's a lot of like trauma talk on social media. Now I, I love how, like, I love how like a trend comes up and everybody jumps on, Oh yeah. Trauma, trauma, trauma. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Like it's so funny, but trauma can mean a lot of things. And one version of this is my body was exposed to particular multis when I was younger, and it has now adapted to respond to that and to be afraid of that and to react more aggressively to that if it sees it in the future, right? The same as if I, you know, opened the door to my house and every time I opened the door to my house, there was some giant dude there that just punched me in the face just because. I would have a lot of apprehension about walking up to the front door of my house moving forward, whereas my neighbor would not walking up to their house, right? 
This is why one person can react way different to a mold exposure than somebody next door. Because when I open my door, I get punched in the face by a 300 pound guy. And when the guy, when my neighbor does, they just walk into their house and they're happy. So they don't have these like physiological responses that are happening as a result of a previous trauma that's happening, right? And I'll for here to find trauma is just a previous exposure that our body has learned from, right? So that's like the second thing. And then the third thing is your current health exposure or your current health position. Is your immune system already taxed? Do you have Lyme? Do you have an autoimmune issue? Do you have Epstein-Barr? Do you, do you have something else going on? If your immune system is already being taxed and kind of worked, and then you add on an exposure on top, which then increases the amount of stress on your body, you're going to react much faster and much more significantly than someone who is not dealing with a chronic thing like that under, under the surface, right? So there's variables to this, but this goes to the answer. You know, if you're someone listening and I'll generalize it because usually it's the husband in the scenario that tries to downplay the impact on this. And there's physiological reasons women typically react faster and more to mold exposure. So they're usually the one driving the ship on, I think there's something going on. We need to fix this. But if your spouse, let's just throw it to spouse, is like, yeah, but I'm not sick. So if I'm not sick and you are, then it can't be the house because the house is a common denominator for both of us. It's just not true because there's other variables. The house is not your common denominator. That's one variable. And then you have all these three things that I talked about underneath. So that's one way to just sort of think of it. And then when you talk about like, where is it impacting? You have multiple systems in your body. So you have... You have your digestive system, so you have your gut, you have your skin, you have your nervous system, you have your brain, you have your endocrine system, you have your reproductive system, you have it, and other ones I'm probably not thinking of. All of those, every system in your body can be impacted by a chronic inflammatory response or that's happening. And then the symptoms that happen in those, there's multiple symptoms within each system, right? So for your brain, one can be cognitive decline, let's say, or literally I start having memory loss, I start forgetting things. Another one in your brain could be uh, mood changes. Mood changes can happen. Another thing in your brain can be anxiety or depression. Like there's so many different symptoms that can happen in one place of your body that it gets very complicated for a doctor to try to figure out like where all this is coming from. So the, the big sort of... Um, I wouldn't call it a secret, but I'd say maybe like the trigger that doctors look at when they're trying to diagnose this is, do you have a multi-system, meaning gut, brain, skin, something. So things happening in multiple places and multiple symptoms that are happening all concurrently. And if that's happening at all of the same time, that is a huge, huge red flag now for the really the smart, like environmental literate doctors that understand the mold component. So it's like, hey, we need to start looking at mold toxicity. We need to start looking at mold. We need to start doing toxin tests in your body, environmental testing in your body. There is some sort of systemic thing happening here, this chronic thing that is causing the, the triggers to go off all over the place, right? So that, that if, if, if any of that makes sense, you're like, oh, wow, I do have things here or there or something like that. Then I would say that's a, a big reason to start thinking about this as a potential you know, contributor if you haven't already. The great breakdown. So then let's talk about homes. There's, I think, again, more misconceptions that only old houses in the Midwest have mold, new houses can't have mold. So can you kind of jump into the whole house topic, whether someone's found mold like on the ceiling above their shower, or they've never seen mold, but they're really resonating with what you're saying? Yeah, well, let, let's talk through like 
what some of these myths are that you're leading to? Because I think that's like the entry point. Because I think a lot of times we just dismiss stuff because we don't understand the reasoning behind it. And so we use like these, these myths that are out there that we don't think are myths. We think that they're true. And then they become limiting beliefs that are now ingrained in us that are the origin point of every decision we make. So if we have a belief that is wrong about something, then every decision we make off of that incorrect belief is putting us on a path that's not handling it properly. But if we can adjust our in our belief system, which means our understanding of how something works and us accepting that understanding of how it works, and then you start making decisions off of that, your decision path is going to change. And that's where you're going to start seeing progression. So there, there's a couple you know, big limiting beliefs that exist in the world of mold. Um, the first one is that there needs to be water for there to be a mold problem. This is half true. There does need to be water for mold to grow. And let me define water. It doesn't mean, because a lot of people think this, it doesn't mean a big flood. It doesn't mean a big leak. It just means moisture or even humidity, right? So this is now a mental shift we have to make where it's like, I've been in my house. I haven't, I haven't had any floods. I can't have mold. No, you might not have, but Maybe there's been a drip under one of your sinks in your bathrooms that you didn't know about that was slow, that that you never even knew about, that created a little bit of moisture in there that allowed mold to grow over time in your sink cabinet. That is a source of mold in your house now that you're being exposed to, right? So it's it's understanding that moisture doesn't mean massive water event. It can mean little tiny things that are also happening too that allow mold to grow. Mold doesn't need a lot of water to grow. It doesn't need a flood to grow. It could grow off of a little drip. It can literally grow just off of humidity that's elevated over 60% for two days and you can have mold grow. And literally 24 hours of humidity over 60% in an enclosed space, you can have mold growing on everything. So that's the minimum like requirement of water. So just think about that, right? And that changes our perception on like what's even needed for, for mold to, to be present. Because a lot of times, just like my landlord did, they dismissed it. Oh, it's dry dry, there can't be mold. So the next part of this same limiting belief is there does need to be water for mold to grow or moisture or humidity, right? But it doesn't have to be right now. It just has to have been there at some point in time. So think about a flower, think about a weed outside, think about grass, anything like that. Mold is not much different than a plant. It basically, a mold spore is a seed. It goes somewhere, you water the seed and it has a proper food source and it will grow. Right. So for us, food source is our entire house. It's all made out of mold food, basically. Right. The seed is a mold spore. There's always mold floating around. Right. There's nothing we can do about that. And then the last thing is water. So if there's a moisture issue and you get a you get it to land in the right environment with the right food source, it will grow. Right. Now, the thing is, if you had a plant grow outside and you say, oh, you know what? I don't like this plant. You can stop watering it. You can stop watering it. And apparently it's going to uproot itself. And it's going to take it and his little plant family, and they're going to go hunt for new sprinklers somewhere so they can now thrive over there. That's not what happens. You stop watering it, what happens? It starts to dry out. It starts to wilt over. It starts to like get hard and like break, like it almost break in half if you grab it and stuff like that. But it's still there. It's always still there until you pull it out, right? It's exactly what happens with mold. And so one of the biggest problems in, in terms of thinking through, like how, how can I even possibly have a mold problem is if you had a leak five years ago that created a mold issue and then you fix the leak, which is great, but the mold grew and you never actually got rid of it, it will literally stay there forever until you get rid of it. But when it dries out like that, 
the whole mole colony becomes really brittle and fragile and it can break apart. And, and so that leads me into the next sort of limiting belief here is that if, let's say that happened behind a wall, let's say I had a leak behind a wall and I fixed the leak and now there's mold back there. So then the next question that comes up is like, well, but it's behind a wall, it's trapped back there. It can't get to me. Right. And that's also not true. Right. So what we're doing is we're putting together the pieces of how these things actually impact us. So we can start rethinking about how we, you know, how we approach them. Right. So the reason why, and there's a bunch of research studies about how this works, but there, there is air pressure, air pressure and air currents that move through your house all the time. Okay. So I was just at a, uh, I was just at a conference and I like made this joke and it hit so hard that I'm just using it now as an analogy. Every time I explain this, I just like on the fly made this joke. I was like, I explained how this worked first. I'm like, okay, so how many of us, so all of you listening, keep your hands on the wheel if you're driving, but maybe mentally raise your hand. How many of us have opened a door in our house and maybe heard a door somewhere else, the other side of the hallway, down the other side of the room, slam shut all by itself, right? I know that's happened to me. I know it's happened to many people. What's happening is that when you're opening one of those doors, you are changing the air pressure of the house which basically is forcefully pulling and moving air through your house really hard. So hard that on the other side of the hallway or the house, it slammed the door shut. That's how hard the air is moving through the house, okay? This is a visual representation of how air currents constantly change throughout the house. The joke was you don't have ghosts in your house. You didn't open your door and there's ghosts flying from you from the other side, slamming your doors. That's not what's happening, right? It's actually something that is rooted in science and happens every time you open a door, you open a window, your air conditioning system turns on, you put your clothes in the dryer, you turn on the exhaust fan over your, your kitchen stove, like the hood exhaust fan, like any of these things, what they're doing is they're forcefully pulling air from places and it creates an air current. So what happens now, back to this scenario, I had a leak in a wall that I fixed five years ago and the plant mold is back here basically just hanging out, right? It's drying out and it's really fragile. So what this means is when an air current comes by it, you know those little like dandelion flowers, like if you blow on them, like everything just blows all over the place. That's what happens to the mole colony now. The entire colony gets destroyed into tiny pieces and it gets pushed out into our living space in a variety of different pathways. It gets into where we live and now it's in the area where we can be exposed to it, right? This is how people are exposed to hidden mold that's behind a wall. When you look in their house and there's no massive mold problems like on the surfaces anywhere, yet you do dust testing in their house and there's a huge mold load in the house, or you do mycotoxin testing in their body and there's mycotoxins in their urine and their health is declining. It's because every breath that they take in the house has been influenced by multiple of these historical mold growth areas. And then the house is pushing it into your living space through all the air currents. That's how we breathe it, right? So if we know that number one, you don't have to have water right now for there to be a mold problem. And we know number two, that stuff that's hidden behind places is actually the primary driver of our health reactions to what's going on. We now can create a plan on how to attack a house to reduce our exposure and find where the sources are. And that's like the whole like structure and philosophy of how we go through houses, figuring out where these historical water issues happen and then how to remove the, the mold, the dried mold that's behind a wall, because as long as it's there, it's a problem. So you have to remediate and remove that so future air currents can't push it through. 
And then the last step is everything that has been pushed through into your living space, you know, before we came in and fixed it or before you came in and fixed it, we have to clean that up too, right? Because there's just kind of a historical mess we have to clean up that you're being exposed to. So you remove the source, you clean the house, which is where it's all been accumulating and that's what you're exposed to. And you know how to find the spots. And if we could do that, you, you can 100% address all of these problems. Very interesting. So if someone say is buying a house, is there any way that they can know what they're getting into before they actually buy it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is. So the first thing we have to understand, how do you know where hidden invisible sources of mold might be? Right. Because that's like kind of the key to this whole thing. And I can't teach everybody that on a podcast in like 20 minutes, but I'll give you the general concept of it. Like we said, mold needs water to grow, not necessarily right now, but it needs, it needs it at some point. We can't see the mold growth then most times because it's behind something. But what we can see is a, a trigger, a sign that there has been a water intrusion, a, a, a water damage sign, right? So the big secret to like how we find mold is that we don't actually go through the house looking for mold at all. We go through the house looking for signs of water damage. And so my entire team, I mean, if we find mold, that's great because it drives us there. But like our entire training processes and our whole internal certification process is based on understanding what signs of water damage look like and where they manifest most often and being able to understand how to look through spaces and see that stuff. We can see signs of water damage. We cannot see mold growth. Our eyes are not microscopes, but what we can see are these things. So there's only five types of water damage. So we start honing our eyes around looking for one of these five things, and they can vary in severity, obviously, but it only manifests in five ways. The first one is bubbling. So think like if you have paint that's bubbling or you have you know something like that, like usually it's a moisture issue that's causing a bubble like that. Now, is there mold all over the place? Is there water staining there? No, there might be none of that there. But if there's a little bit of a bubble in paint or a piece of building material, why? Why is that happening? A lot of times it's moisture. That would be a red flag for us to say, we need to test this wall right here where the bubbling is because we know that that's a precursor to mold. And so we test where we see the precursors, we see the red flags, and then we validate if there's a problem there or not. And that's how we go through the house. So for everybody listening, bubbling paint is one. Um, buckling or swelling or warping. So think like uh, uh, one way you see this. So if a floor is warping, okay? The reason it warps, one reason it warps, I want to say it's always moisture, but a primary reason that it can warp is if, if wood soaks in moisture, especially like subfloor under something, when wood soaks in water, wood bends a little bit because it, it swells up a little bit. You get a warped floor, you'll get a baseboard on a wall that might be pulling off a little bit. And so when you look at the baseboard on the wall, it almost looks like the, um, the joint at the top where the baseboard meets the drywall is like pulling off and separating a little bit. That doesn't happen for no reason. There's a reason that that happens, right? So swelling, warping, you know, kind of buckling, all three of those are kind of the same thing. You see it a lot under kitchen sink cabinets where like the floor, the, the, the bottom of a sink cabinet will be like bowed up or warped or something like that. It's a big clue. There's been a leak here at some point. Something's happened here. Um, peeling or cracking, right? So this is another reason. So again, this happens a lot in paint. This happens a lot in wood. Paint is cracking or peeling or chipping off. Again, the stuff doesn't happen for no reason. If it did, it would happen everywhere at the same time, right? So there's a reason that something is happening right there. 
Um, is it always moisture again? I'm not going to say it always is, right? If you have sun beating on something just excessively all day because of that, then sure, you can get stuff that starts cracking and peeling a little bit. But another big reason it happens is water intrusion. That's another one, right? So you have that. Another one is rust or mineral deposits. These are kind of the same thing. So these are sort of like corrosion, sort of, sort of uh, uh, chemistry stuff that's happening, right? So rust is a result of moisture and metal coming together. It's oxidizing, right? So if you see rust on something, it didn't rust for no reason. It rusted because there was moisture at some point, right? So we have to start thinking, all right, what is rusting? Why? Like if I see a nail head in a wall that's rusted, I'm testing the wall because that wouldn't have rusted without moisture. There might be moisture on the backside of that wall that came through that made rust form on the front of the nail head. We don't know that, right? So that's like a big sign that I'd be looking at the other thing is um, a lot of people see this like in your crawl space or your basement. If you ever look, if you have exposed like unfinished and you'll see like this white powdery substance like on the brick or on the foundation wall or something like that, that's a mineral deposit. So that's when you go with stone or brick or something like that and water gets to it, that white sort of line or powdery stuff that's on there is not necessarily mold. That's not what that is all the time. But what it's showing us is that moisture has impacted that at some point in time. And that's why the mineral deposit is there, right? So then you're like, okay, if moisture has come into this space, you start looking around the areas and you start trying to see if there's other things going on. And then the last one is just water staining itself, which sounds super simple, but there are so many times that we overlook water staining because it's not a massive stain somewhere. And as we go through our house, our eyes, like, I feel like when I go through a house, I'm like looking at every wall, like the matrix. That's just like what I've turned into. But most people don't do that. Most people just walk through the house and you don't really take note of what's happening on this wall or that wall or the other. And if you actually just like sit in your room, if you're at home and just like look up and just kind of scroll your eyes across where the wall meets the ceiling or the wall comes down, if you're able to do that, there's so many times you could see water stains and stuff on your ceiling or your walls. You had no idea existed just from taking a minute to actually look, right? So, so those are the five things. So if you're going to look for a new house to wrap all this up, those are the five signs of things you can look for that let you know this is potentially an area where there's been a water issue. What I would say to do first, do this in your house first before you start going to look at other houses. One, you'll start to train your eye a little bit better. But two, take note of how many of these areas you found. If in my house, I found 10, then if I'm looking for a new house, I'd better not find 10. I'd rather find five. I'd, I'd rather find something that's better than where I'm coming from, right? So, so that would be one more tip. And then the last thing, when you get into buying a house, there's you know these contingency periods where you're able to kind of go in and do testing and different things like that. Um, you know, One of the things that you can do is a dust sample in a house, a dust test. Um, we actually have a test that we created that leverages our inspection data to provide context for like how bad a house is compared to every house we've inspected in the sample set to give you an understanding of sort of where you are on the scale of, is this worth looking into? Or man, this house is a disaster compared to all the other houses that we inspectors looked at, right? Um, so you can get that at thedusttest.com. It's a simple at-home test kit. It's basically a Swiffer pad, essentially, that you collect dust on. And then you send that in and it can be analyzed. It runs it through our data set and it shows you where a house ranks. So if you're doing what I would do is a visual through the house. If the visual looks good enough, then you go in, get the house under contract. 
And then right when you get the house under contract, you do a dust test in your contingency period. And if that comes back and it's like a massive disaster, you can get out of the house for literally any reason that you want. You can say your house does have ghosts if you want to. And like, whatever, I'm out. And then you're fine. Like there's nothing they can do, right? And you'll get all your all your money back. So th those are a couple of tips you can use for, for how to look in your places. That was so insightful. Um, you mentioned, you know, back in the day when you first were exposed to mold, you were renting. And sadly, it does seem that most landlords either just don't care or they just tell you like scrub some bleach on it and it'll go away. Are there any things people can do when they're renting beyond moving ASAP? Well, it, it depends on how bad your place is, right? So just because you found one source somewhere doesn't mean your rental is a disaster, right? What if you only had two or three sources? Most houses, if I, like going back to last question and put context to this, if I was looking for a new house and I went in, I'm expecting to find three to five things in the house. You are not going to find a house that has nothing. If I find something that's like three to five things, I'm like, this is a pretty good starting point, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're renting, we kind of have to have an expectation that's somewhat similar. Now, if you're someone who's super sensitive, that might not be okay for you. And then you have to start thinking about, okay, how, how do I find a place that's okay for me personally, right? And, and that's a whole different conversation of how to go through that. But if you're renting, the first thing is don't just assume one thing means it's a disaster, right? Um, but cleaning surfaces of stuff does not fix the problem. So this is a very common landlord thing like, oh, we're just going to, we'll wipe it off. We'll clean it. Right. Oh, God, especially yeah. the bleach thing, please. Or for the love of God, <laughs> anybody listening to this, if you are going to go clean mold with bleach, please just don't, please just don't. <laughs> um, first off the EPA, we just talked about how slow governmental agencies are in like understanding this stuff. They've already come out and been like, don't use bleach to clean mold. If they're already saying it, and they're so behind on the rest of it. Like it's already like, okay, I shouldn't be doing it. But some of the reason behind, first off, bleach in its own, right? So many other disruptions to our body systems just from the chemicals that are in it, right? Like, you know, mold is one piece of this, but like when our body's reacting to stuff, I said at the beginning, like other things you're exposed to, other things you're dealing with are part of everything that's going into your body, right? So if you're adding more crap that your body is, that's now disrupting your endocrine system, which bleach does, for example, like if you're doing stuff like that, it's not helping the cause for one. Two, bleach evaporates, the, the cleaning agent evaporates so quickly, but the moisture then stays. So a lot of times you end up feeding more moisture to a place, um, especially if you're like using bleach to, to clean like a porous surface, like drywall or something like that. You're just adding moisture to it that you're not gonna be able to dry out, right? And so then it's gonna feed more of the moisture source um, and then also bleach is a, obviously a chemical. I know a lot of things are chemicals, but I, I went to a conference where they actually talked about this years ago. And they were saying, if you mix bleach, a chemical with mycotoxins, another chemical, which by the way, just context, mycotoxins are a toxin that molds can create. It's a chemical toxin that molds can create. If you mix two chemicals together, Everybody watched like Looney Tunes back in the day and you're mixing chemicals and it, the, the lab explodes in Pinky's face or the brain's face when he's trying to come up with how to take over the world. Like that happens, that stuff happens. And it actually creates really potent carcinogens. It can create formaldehyde, like other things that get created off of mixing chemicals. So you always want to opt for like the least 
chemical ridden cleaning solutions that you can. I know everything is technically a chemical. So some people get like really anal when you say that and they're like, yeah, but you know, hydrogen peroxide is this or like whatever. Like, yes, I know. But it's a, it's a different type of chemical that's not as aggressive, right? It's like, so you want to, you want to offer that. So please don't do that. But the other thing that I want to urge you guys to do is if you're going through and you're like, you have mold on the ceiling in your bathroom above your shower and you have something behind the toilet and you have something over here, don't just go wipe it all off even with a more natural cleaning solution and think that you've solved the problem. Because like we said, mold behind those places are getting pulled out, right? So if you're going through that process, we have to start thinking about, all right, there's like a lot of stuff going on here. If the landlord, which is what happened in my case, and which is going to happen literally in every single person's case, they're going to devalue what's going on. They're going to gaslight you. They're going to dismiss you. And they're going to come in and do what they've been doing for a hundred years, which is paint over it and do this and do that. You have to make a decision on, is this a safe place for me to be? And how do I navigate out of this and not feel, try not, try not to feel the victim card in it. Right. And, and because a lot of us are just like, oh, I'm in my lease and my landlord won't do anything and I'm stuck. Well, contracts are all made to be broken. This is actually what I learned from Mark from my origin story. I just signed a lease three months prior. He got me out of my lease in like two weeks. It's like, here's how you get out of your lease. Contracts are only as good as the people that are enforcing them. If you make life difficult for the person enforcing the contract, it would just be much easier for them to bring somebody else in so they don't have to enforce their contract than it would be to force you to continue to enforce it for nine months, right? And deal with all the headache and everything that comes through it. So there are definitely ways to get out of it. I even have trainings on how to get out of your lease and all this stuff based off of my experiences and what I did and everything, but just sort of like think through it like that. But quick things that you can do if you have to be in your place, so you can't get out right away. There's three things that you can really do in a space to just try to reduce your exposure. The first one, we talked about it earlier, you're exposed through dust in your house. Now, the reason that this happens is particles get in the air. Gravity brings these mold particles down and dust collects them like a giant spider net or spider web, right? It just collects everything. As we walk through our house, there's this concept, again, another, another uh, building performance research study that's called the personal cloud effect. What this means is as you walk or sit or move, literally as you're moving through your house, you're constantly disturbing settled surfaces. And if there's dust or particle on those surfaces, it gets popped back up into the air. And you're creating a cloud that follows you at all times. It's an invisible cloud. It's like the dirty cloud that Pigpen had from Charlie Brown walking all over the place, except it's not gross, dirty dirt that's floating around Pigpen. It's invisible particles that he can't see, that we can't see. So your exposure path is settled dust reservoirs to your nose and mouth. That is your exposure path. So if you can re reduce the amount of dust that is in the house in the first place and it's less stuff that's gonna get popped up into your mouth and, and breathing zone is less stuff that you breathe. So if that, if we, if we take that theory, because it makes sense, say, okay, really, really thorough cleaning of the house to remove settled dust on a very regular basis. The more of it that's gone, the less of it that there is to pop up. That's one big thing you can do. The second thing is high-end air purifiers and air filters. Not these things that you buy from Amazon or Best Buy or Costco or any of those places. Nothing that's a HEPA filter. HEPA's not good enough. It's not going to get these particles out of the air. There are higher grade medical grade level filters that are getting more and more affordable in the grand scheme of things as more companies come out with them because um, they're offering like smaller versions of them that can be used in different spaces. But you're looking at things like Air Doctor, IntelliPure, 
um, IQ Air, like these types of uh, these types of units. And they're a few hundred bucks. They're not, you know, 50 bucks that you're going to find on Amazon for something. But there's also a very big difference in what it's actually doing. Let's think through what's happening. Our exposure, we're walking through the house. The personal cloud is happening. I'm popping all this stuff up in the air, right? We'll reduce as much of that as we can. That's step one. So there's less popping in the air. But there's still going to be stuff popping in the air. These air filters will now suck all of that, as much of that in as it can, and reduce now what's floating in the air. So if you think that your mouth is sitting at four and a half feet or five feet above the ground, moving at all points in time, we're trying to remove as much floating crap that's floating at five feet in the air as much as we can, because that's our exposure. Remove as much of the dust as popping up, air filters that are pulling stuff out of the air to make less of it available for our mouth. That's number two. And then the third thing is diluting the air in your house with outdoor air. This is the third thing. So this doesn't mean that you have to have your doors and windows open all day. You can literally do a short air flush of your house by opening two windows, one on like the front side of the house and one on the back side of the house. So you get kind of like an air current that will get built. Keep them open for 10 minutes. You're going to bring bringing in outdoor air that's going to dilute the amount of contaminated air in your house, right? Now, yes, there might be mold outside. I get it. This is always a question like, oh, there's mold outside. What is I'm just bringing in? In your house, your house is a sealed up box. You have sources of mold in your house that are constantly just building and building and building. That means the concentration is getting higher and higher and higher and higher in your house. Now, outside, go look outside. How many square feet can you see outside? In my house, I, I'm in a room is 10 square feet. Outside is like a million square feet I can see. That means that there's a lot more dilution in the air that's out there because it's not all concentrated into a small space. So by bringing that and flushing the air, you're pushing the air in your house out because you're doing that airflow pattern that we talked about earlier. And the air that's coming in is less concentrated in terms of contamination than what was in your house in the first place. So you've diluted your exposure amount, right? You do these three things and this can help you reduce your, your impact and your effects of what's going on in your house while you start making your plan on what you're going to do moving forward. I'm so glad you mentioned all that because I wanted to ask you even like in your home, what do you do since you have all of this, this awareness? So yeah, having a good filter, open your, your windows and the deep cleaning really is something pretty much all of us can do and probably yeah, need to I do. do. And I do all three of these, like literally, I actually yeah. have an air filter in every single room that we spend time in. I'm a little, you know, I'm a little anal about it. My house also doesn't have mold problems either. So the other thing though, is just keep in mind, like with the filter stuff, this isn't a mold only thing. I know everyone not listening, everyone listening isn't like in mold world, like this is more broad audience, right? And so here's what I will tell you. Have you ever seen, and if you haven't Google, what do my water pipes look like in my house? And just Google image it and see all the crap and gross stuff that's in your water pipes. Even though it comes out of your water faucet and it looks clean. We all know that it's not clean water. And there's a reason that we all filter water or buy water somewhere else. Like there's a reason we do all that, right? Now Google what is behind the walls of my house and look at the pictures of what's back there. It is freaking gross. It is dead animals. It's dead insects. It's dirt. It's dust. It's insulation, like fiberglass fibers. There's all kinds of stuff back there. We talk about how the air currents push the mold out from the walls. It pushes all that crap out from the walls too. We should not, as society, be breathing this crap at all. We shouldn't be breathing it. My position, mold or not, you need to have these filters in your house in the areas where you spend the most time 
to reduce the amount of just crap that your body's having to deal with on a daily basis. Uh, I'm just like a very big believer in overall. I have one in every single room that we sleep in. So I have two kids and, and my wife and I, so all the bedrooms have them. And then our primary and my kids' playrooms, um, playroom has one as well because they spend a lot of time in there. And then we have like one sort of big sort of like kitchen living space, which most people have now in like these new floor plans. So we have like a larger one that can handle a larger square footage in that spot. I'm not covering every square foot of my house and and kind of the construction of how I've put the the plan together for them, but I'm probably covering 75% of where I spend the most of my time. And that's great, right? Yeah, it's very, very doable. So the last thing I'd love to ask you about is then testing and where someone can start to get some more answers and really begin to improve their living situation. Yeah. So there's different parts of testing, right? It, it kind of depends where you are, what you need, what your goals are, what your health is. There's so many things, right? But so let's just start at the beginning. If you're somebody who's listening and you're like, yeah, this guy kind of makes sense. I'm, I'm sort of picking up what he's saying. He's not super crazy. Um, but you yourself, either haven't had like a doctor confirm or you haven't figured out that mold is directly impacting you, but you're just kind of wanting to know, maybe you're like, well, we have had these lingering symptoms or this multi-system thing you talked about earlier. Like my kids have one thing, I have something else. Seems to be happening a lot. Like if any of that stuff is triggering, do the dust test in the house. It is the top end starting point. It's literally a a very affordable at-home test that you can do. It's a couple hundred bucks. It's just like doing an at-home gut test or an at-home this or like all these tests that exist now. And you can just see what the general load is of your home. You can see the mold types that are there and you can see how they compare to all the other homes that we've inspected over the time, which created the sample set for this comparison within there. That is the easiest thing that you can do. It's fast. It's not too expensive and it gives you an understanding of, do I need to like look into this a little bit more or no, I'm like, all right, I'm doing okay. I don't need to dive into this. It's good. I feel good about prevention for myself, for my kids. I did a good job. Awesome. Right. Start there. Now, if you're someone who is a little further down the road and you're like, you know, that health is impacted, that your health's being impacted, right. Or, or you've done some sort of testing that's shown you have high inflammatory markers that are, that are spiking, um, or you've done even like mycotoxin tests in your urine, like you've kind of gone down the road a little bit more, then sure, the dust test is good to give you some context, but like the reality is there's probably something going on in your house already if that's happening to you. So then the next step is, am I looking to have inspection done? Like, like, or am I looking to get out of my house? You got to start asking yourself these questions. Like, what do I want to do? If you're somebody who's like, listen, Brian told me the five signs of water damage on this pod. I went through the house and found eight of them or 10 of them. We have a couple symptom sets that he's discussed. I'm moving. Decision made. Okay, cool. If that's your decision, then we don't have to come and inspect your house. We don't do dust tests in your house either, right? So now the next thing for you, how do I start finding a new place? How do I take this information and do that, right? So like, you know, you, you start trying to think that. Now, if you're somebody who's like, I don't know if I have a problem in my house. Brian's cool. He told me some things. I literally have no idea how to look for any of this stuff, which is probably most of you. And it's fine, right? That's fine. You shouldn't know how to look through all this stuff. Then the question is, how do I attack my space? Right. And a lot of times when you're doing this, it's where are the problems, but not only where are they and how many are there? How do I prioritize what to address? That's probably even the bigger question, because like I said, every house is going to have three to five things on a minimum. So you're going to go through your house. If you're not finding anything, you're probably not looking well enough, which is fine. Again, you just heard me talk about it for five minutes, right? So like, that's fine. But 
if that's where you are, then you start thinking about, we need to have a diagnostic inspection of the house to figure out where the problems are so we can start making educated decisions down the road, right? Now, there's kind of two paths to do this. If you're further down the road of, I know I have a problem here, then you probably want more of an in-person inspection where we're diving through the whole house and you kind of get more of a white glove, like hand-holding experience of how it's all working and everything that you need. And if you're somebody who's like, yeah, I suspect my bathroom has something going on, but I'm not necessarily like sold on having to inspect my entire house yet, then you can start and we can do individual rooms, right? So there's like different ways that we could do it. Like our goal for We Inspect and always what I've been pushing through with, with, with the team on how we develop out, how we work with people and what we can offer is that I want to meet people where they are in their journey, as opposed to making people have to meet us with what we are just able to provide, right? I think that... I mean, that's just the future of, of how all services is moving. But I think it's really important for this subset of people also, because if you are impacted, your decision-making process is a little more difficult because you might have brain fog. There's just other things that are going on. We have to make it as easy as possible to, to get wherever somebody is to say, okay, where you are, you need this. This is how I can help you with this. This is how I can help you with this. And it's not all like a one size fits all thing. So with us, um, uh, we we work with people in two ways. We either literally come to your house, no matter where you live in the country. Um, my team uh, is all trained by me and, and my internal training staff and built through our, our certifications and everything, right? Um, one question that comes up is, do we outsource people in different states? The answer is like a hard, hard no. Um, quality has to be right. And I know that most people don't know how to do this. So, I, you know, we have a very kind of aggressive training program internally to make sure everyone knows this. But I do hire people in different parts of the country so we can travel easier and have, you know, kind of hubs where we can get to. So we will come to anyone's house anywhere, right? That's part of it. And we will do a full inspection and go through the whole process, which is find the problems, test what needs to be tested, and do all the consulting on the back end. Here's what you need to do to fix it. Here's the priorities on, on what you should be attacking first. And here's then answers to all of your other questions that come afterwards, which is what do I do with my stuff? what's the order that I do all, like all of that stuff comes after. So that's like kind of like a full thing. Now, if you want the same experience, because that experience is needed, every step in the process is needed, but maybe you don't need your whole house done. Maybe you want that same exact experience in terms of inspection, testing, consulting, remediate, like all of that stuff. Then we have another um, way that we can help people, which we just rolled out recently, which we call We Inspect Together which is um, our inspection companion app that we just rolled out. And what that means is, again, I train my team on exactly how to do this. I know exactly what we need to be seeing in places, and I know exactly how to navigate someone through a house because I've been doing it forever. We built that into an app. So what would happen, let's say that you are like, you know what, I'm concerned about my bathroom. I want to inspect, I have two bathrooms. I want to inspect two bathrooms. That's all that I want to do. Cool. But I want the same process that you guys do across the board. Awesome. Here's what's going to happen. What we'll upload into the app for you is a customized inspection plan of two bathrooms. And we'll ask you a couple questions about your bathrooms. Like, for example, do you have a window in this bathroom? Right. And let's say you say yes. Cool. I need to see these four exact pictures of this window. And there's literally a photo that gives you an example. Take a photo from this angle. Take a photo from this angle. And what happens is it pushes back to my consulting team and then it's the exact same way that we run an inspection anywhere in the country because our inspectors, if they go in your house, are doing the same thing. They're giving us the photo information that we need 
to then analyze stuff and determine what looks like a red flag where we should test or whatever. So all we're doing is swapping out, flying someone out to you with you just taking pictures that are guided, like literally photo by photo through an app. And then you connect right back to our lead consultants on the back end, and we can give you the exact same service and process, but on a more flexible scale of I only want one room or two rooms or three rooms done. This has been a huge thing for us. And the response has been amazing. And there's so many people that just didn't have access to a full home inspection, where whether it was cost prohibitive or they just didn't feel like they needed it yet or whatever. You can now like do this kind of at your pace. And like I said before, I can meet somebody where they are and like what they need at the time. So, so those are the ways that we can work with people on the inspection front. You can still get all the expertise on the back end. And if you're interested in either of those, um, you know, uh, you could go to yesweinspect.com. That's our main, that's our site. There's a big yellow button on there to set up a call if you want to talk with us. If you already know off of what I'm describing, that the app kind of single room thing or or maybe two or three rooms or whatever is more your vibe for what's going on, you go to yesweinspect.com slash together. And that's an, an entire page kind of dedicated to getting this process set up and how you can do it. But I'm I'm really excited about it. And you know, just like helping people is is awesome. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really impressive what you've built out. Um, and then lastly, do you want to share your Instagram too? You post a lot of really helpful free info there. Yeah. So on Instagram, it's at moldfinders. That's where you could find us. Um, we're putting out stuff literally every single day. I do AM answer, like question answer sessions multiple times a week that people could come on live. And like, I do live shows basically every week. Um, and then my podcast too, there's a, I mean, there's like 200 hours of like information where I've literally had on the podcast, podcast is called Mole Finders Radio. It's on all the platforms. I've literally had somebody who went through the podcast that she contacted me afterwards and like told me all this stuff. I ended up doing this big interview with her. Her son was having really severe um, neurological issues. So pans and pandas, which are pediatric uh, neurological disorders, essentially, I won't get into all of it because everybody might not know it, but it's essentially kids whose brains are being impacted by environmental exposures and other things that are going on. Her kid was having really, really severe pans, pandas stuff that was going on, symptoms that were happening, went through our podcast, figured out just from listening to the podcast, what the problems were, how to handle it, how to move out of a place, how to find another place that was a better solution for them. And her kid started healing in all of this from someone who did not spend a single dollar or ever spoke to us ever. And like that story is so awesome. It's so awesome. So it's there, you know, you have to spend some time, right? Cause podcasts are not necessarily organized specifically how you want them. So you got to spend some time obviously, but like it is all there. And if this is something that you guys are into, you didn't mind me talking and ranting for an hour, however long this has been. There's a lot of this on that podcast. So you can do that. Well, you're such a wealth of information. And I trust that this episode will go into the hands that need it. And this will give them hope, especially if they've been feeling all the weird symptoms. And now they really have a game plan on where how they can go through their house that was so valuable the things they can do to start to limit exposure in the meantime while they figure out what they're doing. And then the option to connect with you too. So thank you so much, Brian, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I I, I said, I, I really enjoy doing these, but I'm very grateful to like you and others who allowed me to come on. And, you know, I'm the same way. You got to be very like careful with your audience and who you put in front of them. And you always want to make sure you're thinking of them. And so 
for you to to give me the opportunity to to ramble like I have for such a long time to to your audience. Um, I'm very much appreciative of you as well and everyone who took time to listen. Thank you. And thank you to everyone that listened in today. And this is the final episode actually of season five of the podcast. So I'll be on hiatus for a couple months and then I'll be back. But thank you so much for joining us through this whole season and I will catch you soon. 